0: the uh, graphic in the bulletin does not match my graphic on the screen and that's my fault. Uh, before I left on vacation, I was so ready to get out of here I sent TJ the wrong graphic uh, to put in the bulletin. And So I, I texted him I think on Friday and said, did you already print? And he said, yeah. I said, well, that's not a big deal. That uh, bulletin graphic is for tonight's service and tonight I believe is going to be something that uh, I'm, I'm encouraging you all to be a part of because I know it's a Sunday night. I know it's, uh, it's kind of out of our normal uh, routine of things, but this intentional prayer service we're going to have once a month, and I believe uh, it's going to be so impactful and so good. We've got the worship band's going to play. We're going to have some real focused uh, worship, and then we're going to spend some time as a church together in prayer. We're going to be in this room, so I want you to be here, and that's my plug for that, and I'll stop talking about it, okay? And so today, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to preach, uh, but I'm also going to give you uh, kind of the story that that led up to this moment, the kind of the background information that that uh, normally I process through, but doesn't really matter to you. Some of you are probably saying this still doesn't matter to me. Uh, I, I envision, you know, the the Wizard of Oz with the the Wizard behind the curtain, and you don't want to know what's behind the curtain. But I promise, if you if you walk through this with me this morning, then the rest of this month, really, the next four or five weeks are going to make a lot of sense because uh, we're talking about this idea of prayer and. Uh, and I've entitled this series "I'm a Pray for You" because this is just something that we say, right? It's just part of our vernacular. This really all was birthed um, from a TV show that my wife and I were watching a, a long time ago. It was about a year, maybe even a year and three months ago. Uh, American Idol. And I know you're thinking, "Oh, that's really deep and spiritual show uh, to get our sermon series from." Uh, but this is what happens. And if you have watched that show, then you know this. Uh, there's normally the contestants that come on there and they do these backstories, like these interviews that are always these sappy, sad little whatever's. And some of them are like some are legit, some of are, are, are like obvious things that have happened in people's lives. Some of them are, you know, when I was six years old, my 16-year-old brother didn't let me ride in the truck with him, and so I sat down and wrote a country song about he loves his truck more than me. And so this is where I got my inspiration for this song. I'm with, and I just I hate that stuff. And So I fast forward through all that. Uh, but this one was legit. Y'all are going to sit. Somebody's going to go home and write. My brother loves his truck more than me. Um, and it's going to be a hit. And probably Luke Bryan is going to sing it. Because here's what happened. Uh, this kid came on the show and he had, he had a legit sad story. Something that happened in his life. I don't even remember what. And Luke got up. Luke Bryan, one well, of the judges of the show, got up. And we won't talk about him and country music. Uh, but he got up and, and hugged the kid. And his words, he said, I'll be praying for you. And I paused the TV. And I looked at Jess, I said, I hate it when people say that. And she said, well, that sounds very pastoral of you, Matt. <laughs> and I thought, but it's the truth because this is just, it's just something that people say. And 99% of the time, nobody really ever stops and prays for that person. They just say, oh, I'll be praying for you. And, and we say it in our own little circles. And I think, okay, well, in his world, he's a celebrity and he's busy. And he's got all these things going. Is he really going to stop? And remember to pray for this kid or is this just something that he said? And so I said in that moment, I said, you know what, I'm gonna preach a I'm gonna preach a series about prayer. I'm gonna preach a prayer series and we're gonna really get into the what's and the whys and the hows and all that kind of stuff of prayer. And from that point forward, God has just not let me preach it. I have I plan out, and you guys don't have to know this part about me, but I plan out uh, my series. I plan out what I feel like God's kind of leading us to and the direction I feel like I'm supposed to go. And And i leave that open to change at any moment, but I, I, I like to have a little bit of a structure there. And uh, as as the year just kind of progressed, every time I'd get to the point where I'd start preparing, God would just shut it down, or he'd change my direction, or he'd say, no, this is not time for this yet. And I, and I, in the back of my head, i keep going, oh, but I'm going to pray about this, I'm going I'm to preach this, I'm gonna, I want to do this, this is going to be really good. And, and every time, it just stepped, kept saying, no, it never seemed to fit. And then came a conversation with my wife. Y'all, listen, those of you who are married to somebody who can throw some Jesus at you, and it, it's really good in the moment, but it hurts a little bit. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So I I was sitting down and we were this is at the first of the year, and I was kind of talking through the calendar and some of the things that I felt like God was kind of leading us to. And uh, I believe I was even I even introduced her to the intentional word that uh, I felt like God had kind of pulled me to for the year to help define and how that was going to be woven through a lot of stuff. I, I if I remember this moment correctly, I was I was sitting and I was uh, eloquently exegeting some scripture to her. And she was a lot like Mary. Y'all remember that story in the Bible when Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha was real distracted, but she was just sitting there like listening to everything I was saying. And I was, I think that's how that happened. And I was telling her about all this stuff. And I said, and I'm going to preach through this prayer series because I've wanted to do that for a long time. And she looked at me and said, quote, Matt, I'm just going to say this. You better not preach through something that you haven't walked all the way through yourself. And what came out of my mouth next, I believe, was straight from God. It was probably in, divinely inspired, it was very holy. And I looked into her beautiful brown eyes and I said, Shut up. Right? Because I didn't want to hear that. I don't say that to her. Ever, okay? I don't do that, obviously, because I'm still alive and I'm standing here. But I, I just remember this feeling of just like, Ugh, why did you have to say that, right? It was just so in my face and like against everything inside of me. But I knew in that moment, I thought, this is it. This is why I haven't been able to preach this. Not, I mean, obviously I pray. Like, you need to hear that. I, I spend a lot of time in prayer on a very daily basis and on a very... Uh, probably on the above average level because I feel like the the only way that I can adequately shepherd the church is through understanding what God wants for our church, and I have to do that through prayer. And so I spend a lot of time in prayer, But but in that moment, it's like God just said, you've got to walk all the way through this. You can't just skim over what's about to happen. And so I knew that my personal prayer life needed to be stepped up. I knew that that the challenge to me was going to be, yes, obviously seeking God for direction, but really this labor of intentional, direct, focused prayer that was going to be hard. It was going to be self-discipline that I was going to have to work on. I was going to have to really kind of journey this arduous thing. But I knew it was going to be worth it. I knew there was going to be this payoff that was going to be the end of it, of this deepening of my conversation with God. So, I knew that this series was not something I was going to put together very quickly. I knew this was going to be uh, a kind of a little bit of a jut Well, that was January. January. And now, almost ten months later, I feel the freedom to begin to discuss this with you guys in this setting on a Sunday morning. We're going to look at the hows and the whys of prayer. We're going to look at what it means to pray to God. It means to pray big prayers, not these vague prayers that we often praise. And we're going to to look at what it means to and how it feels when it doesn't feel like God's answering our prayer. And how do we navigate that? And How do we kind of go through that? We're going to do all those things. At the very end of the service, listen, at the very end of the series, Uh, I've got this this service plan. It's going to be so great. It's going to be a Sunday morning. Uh, I'm calling it a prayer and praise service where it's going to be very interactive. It's going to be kind of back and forth between uh, worship and us and worship and us. And it's going to be really, really good. And, And you're going to move from being just a passive participant to an active participant in the service. And so I want you to be involved. I want you to be hooked in. If nothing else, just for the payoff of that service, because I'm really, really excited about it. So I looked up some statistics, and, and I know that statistics are just statistics, and the old line is uh, 60% of the time it works every time, right? And so we can make them say whatever we want them to say, but here's what's interesting. The average Christian, uh, Pew Research did some different stuff, the average Christian prays one minute a day. This is the average professing, Jesus-believing Christian prays one minute a day. Now, before you feel too bad for yourself, the average pastor prays five minutes a day. And I was reading this, I was going, oh, sometimes I'm above average and sometimes I'm not. In the average church service, we spend less than 90 seconds in prayer. And so I went back on our church. I watched tape and I had my little stopwatch and I clicked and clicked and clicked and clicked. Uh, we as a manual spend about three and a half minutes in prayer over a we're going to loosely say hour and fifteen minute service okay because those sometimes go a little long three and a half minutes and so when we begin to think about that I thought is that really all we think about prayer is a minute out of our daily life if we're going to average out between pastor and an average Christian let's just say three minutes of prayer a day? Is that all we really think about? And we know verses in the Bible, like 1 Thessalonians where it says to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. We know that. And, and a lot of us, because we're Christians and because we've grown up in church, we would say things like, I have an attitude of prayer all day long because it makes us feel real holy and real good about ourselves. But the fact is we don't stop and really have focused, real, intentional prayer. We just skim the surface, I'm going to pray for you, and we move on, and we kind of just act like it's not really that important. So, in January, I'm still walking you through my process, in January, I began to do just this. I began to spend not just this normal amount of prayer, but I began to spend some focused and direct and intentional time in prayer. So I bought a prayer journal. I didn't bring it in here with me this morning, but I bought a little notebook and I just began to write out some some prayers. Uh, Jess and I uh, as a family began to pray for certain things in our life um, on specific days. And so we know on Mondays we pray for this, on Tuesdays we pray for this, on Wednesdays we pray for this. And and I began to write those things out, things that we have been talking and discussing within our family for years and years. And we began to really be intentional and focused about some of the prayers that we're praying. and 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 so we begin to, I began to write those out. I write out my prayers. and just kind of write out some thoughts and things that are going on in our life. And I began to journal out some things. I knew that the next steps for Emmanuel were going to have to be focused and filtered through this idea of prayer. And so I, I began to do some really neat things. I knew that there needed to be a team that was established leaders within our church that would help Emmanuel move from, from where we are to where we feel like God is moving us to. And uh, and I had just finished you know, November January I had just finished seminary and so I felt like I was kind of on the front end of really being able to give all my focus and everything that I needed to do to uh, the church and and so I began to pray and uh, and I began to pray over ministries and over um, areas of influence in our church and things that are happening and uh, and for two months I, I prayed and said God I, I need you to to show me leaders in our church and have their hearts willing to serve. That was my prayer. God, bring out leaders and have them be willing to serve. For two months, I prayed that prayer. And then, I, I remember writing it all out on a whiteboard and, and, and I listed out all the ministries of our church and, uh, and, and God had led me to names. And so I just wrote their names out beside the ministry. And so for a month, I prayed specifically over each individual person's name on that list every day. Uh, God, I'm praying for this person and I pray that they're willing to serve and they see the bigger vision here. God, I pray for this person and I pray that they're willing to serve and they see the bigger vision here. And, and give them clarity and give them willingness to serve and all that kind of stuff. And I prayed for a whole month over each individual person's name. And so over the process of three months, I pray, and then finally I began to make phone calls. I began to show up people's offices and say, Hey, listen, this is what I'm doing, this is what I want uh, This is what I want to accomplish here and I want you to serve and every single person that I asked said yes and our leadership team was birthed now this is the team of people who are already in our church who are already in leadership positions they just said you know what I'll sit in the same room with other leaders and we'll talk about what's best for our church And so over a process of three months is what even led us to the leadership team. You guys heard me talk about that and know that we're meeting on a regular basis. We're meeting again today at 4 o'clock. Hello? Uh, Put that down in your journal. And so we've been meeting and we've been talking about that all through focused, direct prayer. And then I knew that it was time to start preaching. How do I begin to tackle this? How do I begin to even move into this topic of prayer? So I begin to read a book, really reread a book that I've read Uh, a couple of different times, a a book on prayer. And the whole premise of this book is based off of a story in another book. And I know that sounds dumb, but it is. And so I bought the other book. And the other book is this big, thick thing. It's called um, uh, something about legends. Um, I can't remember the name of the book now. Uh, The Book of Legends. That's it. Pretty easy to remember, right? Uh, The Book of Legends is this big, thick, and it's, it's stories. This is great. It's the stories from the the Talmud and the Mirdish, and you're going, oh, that sounds fascinating, right? This is Jewish ancient literature that is kind of in between intertestamental period, and it's the the expansion. The Talmud is the expansion of the Jewish law, okay, and then the, the Mirdish is the the Hebrew. Uh, rabbis' teachings that have been passed down from generation to generation. And so there's these stories that are in there. It talks about how the, the Jews and the, and the Hebrews really interacted with God and saw their relationship with God, even through uh, the time of Jesus. And so it's really interesting stuff. It's probably the most fascinating book I've read in a while, and I'm not all the way through it. But in the middle of this book is a story about a man who was known for prayer, and his name was Honi. H-O-N-I. Honey was called, after this incident that I'm about to tell you about, called Honey the Circle Maker. And this is the premise for the book that I was reading on the front end of that, and I'm going to tell you the story of Honey the Circle Maker because I believe that when we understand this story, we understand kind of where everything else is going to be filtered through, okay? And so this is, let me set the stage, this is uh, first century B.C. This is the generation before Jesus, okay? If we're going uh, in our understanding... Um, Let's go. This is uh, Julius Caesar. Remember, Rome is, is ruling right now. Julius Caesar's grand nephew. We know him as Octavian or Caesar Augustus is in charge in Rome. Uh, so if you're a history person, you kind of know what's going on there. Herod the Great is the cli- the client king in Judah. Okay. And so he's kind of the, the, the quote unquote king of Judah, but he's really underneath Roman rule too. Okay. And so we have uh, Octavius and we have uh, Herod the Great and, and we have uh, the, the nation of what we call the Jews now, and how they are uh, really in this moment suffering because there is a drought that's about to wipe out a generation of people. Uh, if you know anything about the land over there, it rains maybe twice in two different seasons a year, and, and, the, and the, the winter rain is what makes the crops grow, and if without the winter rain, then, then the, the people don't have anything to eat. So this is a, an awful time to have a drought, and uh, there's no rain, which means no crops, which means people die. And this is going to be bad. And so the people in Jerusalem go to Honi's house. And they, they know that he is a man of prayer and they ask him to pray for rain. And in this uh, Miradish, in, in the story of this, it says this his response was this he prayed, but no rain fell. And so Honi grabbed a stick and he drew a circle in the dirt. And he stood in the middle of the circle and he prayed this. Master of the universe, your children have turned to me because they regard me as a member of your household. By your great name, I swear that I will not move from here until you have mercy on your children. The story says that at once it began to rain drop by drop by drop. But honey wasn't done. He said, quote, not for this gentle rain did I pray, but for a pouring rain that would fill cisterns and ditches and caves. And and the story says that it began to just downpour. And the the story says that that the the drops of rain were about the size of an egg. That it was just this massive flood of rain. Tony wasn't done. And he said this, it's not for this type of rain that I have prayed." but for the rains of benevolence, benediction, and grace. And the story says that the rains calmed into a steady, gentle, normal, volume rain. So much that the ground was prepared for it. That the people in Jerusalem had to run up the Temple Mount, which if you know anything about the elevation, that the Temple Mount was up on a big hill. And so they ran up to the temple to escape the rising waters of the rain. And the people called out to Honi again and said, Make it stop, right? (laughs) Tell him to stop. And Honey says this. This is incredible. Master, your people Israel, whom you brought from Egypt, cannot endure either superabundant good or superabundant punishment. When you're angry with them, we cannot endure it. And when you shower superabundant good on them, we cannot endure it. May it be your will that the rain cease and there be relief for the world, and it says immediately the wind blew and the clouds dispersed and the sun shone. Now this is an incredible story, and his his the legend of Honey went all the way. We'll talk about him later. He went all the way through his grandson, who was a who was a prayer uh, kind of a warrior guy too. And there's stories around him. But here's, here's what happened a- after this. He was almost excommunicated from the church, from, from the Jewish church, I say church loosely, The, the Jewish, because the people in the Sanhedrin believed that that was too bold of a prayer to pray. That you shouldn't, you shouldn't draw circles in the sand and, and, and demand that God do something and say that you're never going to leave if He doesn't. And, and when I read that, I, everything clicked in its place. And I thought, this is not that this is too bold. I only prayed a prayer that only God could answer. And he did it in faith knowing that God could hear him even if he could not hear God. Because remember, in this time period, this is a generation for Jesus. This is is about 400 years of silence from the prophet. There's been no active prophet in the land for almost 400 years. And this man says, you know what, I'm going to continue to pray to pray, pray to God because I believe God can hear me even if I can't hear him. And he prayed this prayer, and I thought, this is it. Honey didn't pray a prayer that's too big. We pray prayers that are too small. We pray prayers that I believe, we think, oh, even if God could, He won't, but He probably can't answer this, but I'll ask because I'm supposed to. And we pray these wimpy, small, vague prayers that we really don't even know if He answered or not. God, be with them today. What does that mean? We pray these vague, ridiculous prayers. And Honey stood up and said, no, I'm going to pray something that only God can do. So I've got Jess dropping her bomb on me of don't do this until you walked all the way through it. I've got Honey over here eating my lunch about how I pray little prayers and how I shouldn't do this. And then I'm just like, OK, God, what do I do? How do I navigate this? And we know that there's these prayers in Scripture and. We're not going to be able to walk it all the way through. There's over 220 prayers in scriptures that are dis- that are distinctly outlined for us that tell us the prayer that they are praying. And that doesn't count all the things where it says so-and-so inquired of the Lord or they sought the Lord. That just That's a general reference to a prayer, but it doesn't have the prayer for us. There's over 220 prayers that are actually written out, and we know some of them. We know the prayers of Abraham. We know the prayers of, remember a few years ago, the prayer of Jabez. Everybody had the, the bracelets of the prayer of Jabez. It's been... Expound my territory and bless me and all that kind of stuff. We have prayers from Hannah, uh, Samuel's mom. We have prayers from Peter and James and uh, in the New Testament. We have prayers of Jesus. We have uh, prayers from Mary, Jesus' mom. We, we know all these different prayers. And with all these incredible examples of men and women in Scripture that are praying, these bold and, and fierce and like God-honoring prayers, I sit back and look at us now and I go, why did we not do that? Why do we sit around and and shy away from this idea of what prayer really can do and how it really can change things? So this morning, finally, after months and months of seeking God's face and really trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to approach this, there's one verse I thought this is the this is the open this is how we're gonna go into this in Luke chapter five. If you've got your Bible, go to Luke five. And we're gonna look really at a passage of scripture that, that's I'm going to give you a little bit of the buildup and then I'm going to give you the, the verse that kind of uh, puts everything in perspective for us. If you start in, the, in, in Luke chapter 5, this is where um, Jesus is on the scene. Some things are already starting to happen. He's already starting to heal some people. Um, he, uh, he goes to the, sh- the shore of the Sea of Galilee and there's some boats that have been pulled up on the shore. And if you guys remember this story, Jesus gets in one of the boats and says, Hey, put off a little bit into the water so I can address the crowd of people who are following him. And he, he puts off into the water a little bit and because Jesus is smart. He uses the acoustics, the natural acoustics of the water uh, to carry his voice so that everybody could hear him. It's really kind of a neat thing. There's been science and all that kind of stuff that's uh, kind of explained a little bit of why he did this. And so he, he talks to the people and then uh, he looks at the guys who are owning the boats and says, hey, if you'll throw your nets over, you'll catch some fish. And, uh, and Peter, James, and John are there. And, and after a little bit of convincing, they finally throw their net over, and, and the Bible says that they caught so much fish that the boats begin to sink, right? Remember that? And, uh, and this is where Jesus gives his famous line of, uh, from this point forward, you'll be fishers of men, right? He gives all that in the first parts of Luke chapter 5. And then in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, the Bible says this, while Jesus was in one of the towns, this is after the fish and the fishers of men, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. That's a whole sermon in itself. You're not supposed to touch people with leprosy. It makes you unclean. Uh, It's it's kind of a big uh, Jewish no-no. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus reaches out and touches the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. This is part of the ritualistic cleansing they had to do. He says, Don't tell anybody. Just go do the part that you're supposed to do with the priest and just let it be. Verse 15. Yet news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And then verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. What caught me was this last sentence. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, if if you do some studying and, and this is just this is kind of the process that I walk through. So if you were to read this in the original Greek language, this is what it would look like, okay? That's verse 16, and I know that's where the phrase, it's all Greek to me, comes from because we read that, it doesn't make any sense. And I would try to butcher the pronunciation of all those things, but there's only one word that really matters in it, and I've got it highlighted on this next screen. It's day, D-E. If you read it, I'm sorry, yeah, if you read it out, how it's phonetically written there, he himself now was withdrawing into the wilderness and praying. That's how that sentence really is transliterated from Greek to English, okay? The word that we're concerned about is that little red word, that second word, that's pronounced in Greek, day. And now you can all go home and say, I know how to speak Greek, because I can say the word day, D-E, okay? And day is a, it's a conjunction in the Greek language. It's uh, the only thing I know about this, if you're a, an English um, nerd, uh, then you know, it's a primary particle. The only thing I know about conjunctions is conjunction, junction, what's your function from Schoolhouse Rock, okay? And so <laughs> I read that and I go, okay, it doesn't matter to me. But it's, it's like us saying the word and, but, now, then, so, for, even, okay? And even in the Greek language in the New Testament, that word, that conjunction, day, is used over 2,800 times. This is not a unique word, okay? It's just... The only way I can describe it, it's like us saying the word like. You know, like, uh, like, uh. It's just the word that kind of throws in there. In the version that I just read you, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. If we were to use some of the different words that that word day is translated into, one of them is the word nevertheless. I think that's really interesting. When we read that in Greek, we could translate that sentence into saying, nevertheless, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Now, I'm not changing Scripture. I'm not changing. This is just transliteration. This is how we use one Greek word into an English word. And it's used as nevertheless in Scripture, I think, over 20 some my times. And so if we use that transliteration and we put this into our story, this is what makes this word so fascinating. Because in our life, we look in the hustle of living in the 21st century and all the distractions that we face from work to electronics to kids to dance to sports to gymnastics to bosses to schedules to uh, bills to... Uh, car payments to date nights with your spouse, all the things that we feel like that we're having to do and that pull us in all the different directions. If we're honest, I believe the majority of us would say that we don't have time to devote to prayer, that we don't have time to sit for 20 minutes a day and pray. And if we did, one, we would either be daydreaming about all the things that we're not doing for those 20 minutes, or two, we'd fall asleep. Because to sit still for 20 minutes would just be the the most ridiculous thing in our world that we would just literally relax into a deep sleep. And I, I was reading that verse that preceded this. With all that was going on, all the crowds that were following Jesus everywhere that He went, with all the sick and the injured who wanted something from Him, with all the demands that He faced. If we use our word for day, nevertheless he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Regardless of the demands, regardless of the crowd, regardless of his schedule, regardless of his pressure, regardless of the fame, he took time often to pray. He never used the excuse of I'm too busy. Listen, if we're comparing our pressures and our schedules to Jesus' pressure and Jesus' schedule, we're going to lose every time. Right? Well, I've got to take the kids to school and I've got to get a doctor's appointment and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And Jesus is like, I've got to maintain creation and I have to sustain the entire universe. I think I'm a little busier than you are. got a lot of things going on over here. And, and yet we continue to use this excuse of I don't have time because I've got too much going on. And Jesus is going... I did all this and I healed and I was working miracles and I was calling people in a deep relationship and I was discipling these 12 guys. I was in an intimate relationship with three of them. I had, had crowds of people pressing on me every minute of every day but nevertheless I made time to do this. I know a lot of you are going, listen, he's Jesus, right? He's Of course he could do that. He he could probably like pause time like uh, Zach Morris used to do and say, by the Bell. Call a little time out and come over here and talk to the camera. He'd probably pause time and then spend some time with God and then came back and unpause. That's not how it worked. He nevertheless spent time in prayer. And I know it's cliche to say this, but it's reality. It's true. If Jesus had to do it, don't you think that we should do it too? If Jesus made it a priority, don't you think that we should make it a priority too? Nevertheless. And then there's another side of this. And this is, I think, is probably a little bit more in our face. We think about all the things that were happening in Jesus' world in this moment. He, he had finally begun his ministry. He had lived about 30 some odd, 30 years, 30-ish years. Um, and he had finally begun to do the things he knew that he was coming to do for the specific time period that he had to do it. He had people, he had crowds following him, he was working miracles, he was calling disciples, everything was going great. Nevertheless, he often matured to lonely places to pray. Because here's what I think we do. I think we see prayer as an emergency use only tool. That when things are going great, we don't have to to take time to really pray because things are going really good. We're, we're kind of on top of our game right now work's going really well I got that promotion that I wanted I got actually a little bit of a pay raise the family's okay kids are not losing their mind wife is happy husband's happy we're all doing what we're supposed to do we're just going to keep pushing through we're going to continue to do what we're doing we don't have to take time to pray because everything's going really well nevertheless you often withdrew to lonely places to pray why? Because I believe he knew exactly what Honey knew. Remember what Honey prayed? Your people, i got it on the screen, yeah. Your people cannot endure either superabundant good or superabundant punishment. When you're angry with them, we cannot endure it. When you shower superabundant good on them, they cannot endure it. Listen, our responsibility to pray in good and in bad Nevertheless, we pray. Now, the second word that bothered me in that sentence is the word lonely. Nevertheless, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Your Bible may say the wilderness. That's the King James Version. Here's what the definition of that word is. Deprived of the aid and protection of others especially friends, acquaintances, and kindred. I'm going to be real honest with the church. It's been a lonely year for me. I have withdrawn from things that I'm normally into. I've pulled back from some relationships and from some activities, and I've gone to lonely places. See, Jesus was isolated, he was vulnerable, he was laid bare, and I believe that's exactly how we're supposed to approach God, too. Put this on the screen, I believe it to be true, if you're not willing to be lonely, then you're not really willing to pray. If you're not willing to be lonely, then you're not really willing. Francis Chan said it like this, either we're going to be in awe of the things of God or we aren't. I love that quote. Either we're going to be in awe of the things of God or we aren't. And so this is one of these things that either you're going to do it or you're not. I can't make you do it. I can't force you into this thing, but you have to come in with your guards down. You have to come in without any pretense. You have to come in real honest and real simple. And you have to come in knowing that it's going to be lonely for 10 months I've withdrawn to be focused on what matters most Luke said Jesus did this and did it often it's not a one-time fixes all thing because that's I believe when we talked about that just a second ago but I think this is how we approach prayer. It's a lot of how a lot of people approach their relationship with God, that when something crazy happens, when something bad happens, or when there's an illness or a sickness or a diagnosis, or or somebody passes away unexpectedly, or something crazy, bad happens in our life. And life goes downhill, we, we run back to God, right? We show up to church and we, we talk about God's faithfulness and how He's going to be there for us. And we do all that kind of stuff. And, and, and all the while, we haven't given God or prayer two thoughts in the last six months because we've just been living life. But when something crazy happens, oh, we're going to run back and we're going to be involved and we're going to be, we're going to be on our knees. But that's not how this works. This is not a one-time fixes everything. You can't fake this. You can't manufacture this. Intimate prayer and deep relationship has to be cultivated. They have to be grown. It has to be developed over time. Jesus did this often. Sometimes in the middle of a miracle. He would stop. Relationship that's built in there. There's intimacy that's developed through that. It's not a flash in a pan, one and done. He he never did this for the show. He did this because it was real to me. Honey, honey didn't just draw a circle and pray a prayer out of nowhere. He was he was already known for His prayer. He was already a guy that, you know what, if you need something prayed about, you go to Honey because he's going to pray about it for you. When he says, I'm praying for you, he really means it. He's spending time in prayer. He's got this relationship with God, he's got this communication that maybe we don't have. And I believe that he believes. He believed he would answer him, not because of anything that he had done, but because he had experienced a deep and real relationship with him that he had developed for years. So this is my last thought, and we're going to be done. I'm out of time. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start this prayer thought somewhere. So I'm going to give you some practical things to do at the end of all this. If I, if I just tell you stories and I tell you my process, then you can go home and go, wow, Matt really has been doing some praying. And you just leave. Here's what I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to. It's the same thought that Francis Chan said earlier. Either you're going to be in all of the things of God or you're not. Either you're going to do this or you're not. And so I'm going to give you some practical things to help you do this. Number one is I'm going to ask you to increase your prayer time five minutes a day. If you pray for one minute, pray for six. If you spend 15 minutes of prayer a day, then spend 20. If you're one of these people who said, I don't pray really ever, then spend five minutes. You've got five minutes of prayer a day. And I'm going to ask you to do this until we're done with this series, at least for the next month. For the month of October, can we not just give five minutes a day in prayer? Second thing I'm going to ask you to do, it's going to be a little bit more awkward, but it's going to be good, I promise. Buy a prayer notebook. It doesn't have to be fancy. I didn't even bring mine in here. It doesn't have to be leather bound. It doesn't have to be you know, expensive. It doesn't even have to come from Target. Just buy a notebook. And begin to write out your prayers. Write out the things that are heavy in your heart. And pray over. Here's what I can tell you. In the past 10 months, we've seen God answer prayers that we were praying eight months ago. They're not on my list anymore because God's answered. In the past 10 months, I've still got stuff on my prayer list that God still has not answered. That I'm just like honey, I'm circling, and I'm, I'm going, God, I'm, I'm going to keep praying about this until you answer it. God, I'm not giving up on the fact that I know that you can answer and what you'll see is your prayer language will change through the months. As you continue to do this, I want you man, if I could just make you do this, I would make you. but what you'll see is your prayer language changes from God, will you do this? God will you do this for me? God will you help me to God, if, if this is what you want, this is what I want. I' talk about that transition. We're going to talk about how that, how your prayer language changes as you begin to make this real in your life. And then I'm going to ask you to do this, and it's not even on screen. Go to a lonely place. And some of you, that's probably the the biggest jump that I could ask any of you to do. You pray for five minutes, you you can write down in a journal, but to get to a lonely place is going to be very, very hard for you. But I'm telling you, I'm going to ask you to get to a lonely place. Physically, get to a lonely place. Get isolated. Get where you are by yourself. And spiritually, get to a lonely place. When you are laid bare, you're without the aid of a friend or a spouse or an acquaintance, that you're just honest and real. When you come into that lonely, then just begin to talk to God. We're going to talk about our talk, how we speak, You'll do these two things. I can't, like, it sounds very televangelist for me to say this, but I promise you everything will change. Everything within our church family will change. Everything within your family will change. Everything within your heart will change. And it sounds like I'm saying, oh, it's going to be great, and you're going to have no problems. That's not what I'm saying. You may change into a very hard place, but you're communicating with the Creator. So that's going to be okay. It's going to change the way you see people. It's going to change the way you pray for people so that when somebody brings something to you and you respond with that, I'm going to pray for you, you really mean it. And you stop and you do it. And what intercession means. Man, we got so much to talk about. It's going to be incredible, okay? We're going to talk about all these things. You do these things. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we end today. This is going to be different, and I don't ever ask you to do this, so just go with it, okay? We're going to stand. We're going to sing. TJ's going to sing over us, really, is what I want you to do. And I'm going to ask you to start today. I'm going to ask you to start in a unique way. I don't ever ask you to do this. So just, I'm going to ask you to get out of your chair. I'm going to ask you to come to the altar, and I'm going to ask you to pray. And this is not just a, well, if you've got sin to confess. No, that's not what this is. This is a, I'm I'm coming to pray. I'm coming to seek the face of the Creator. And I'm coming to lay myself bare. I may not be lonely this morning. There may be other people around me, but I'm coming spiritually lonely to be real with God. I'm going to ask you, as soon as I start praying, I want you to stand up and come. There's no pause. There's no way. If you need to come and talk to me, I'll be off to the side. If you need to come pray with me, I'll be off to the side. Uh, if, if you just need to come and ask questions about our church or join the church or understand who Jesus is or why we even pray to Him, you come talk to me. But this invitation this morning is to start our prayer. And as we progress, I promise you, if you continue to do this, and if you miss a day, don't, don't. Just get back continue to do this and develop this over time, everything is going to change. You come as I pray. Hey, this is Matt I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. and We'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.